When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What a night. Uh, seriously, what a night. You know, you think you're going to bed, you're hanging out. Next thing you know, the former president, I don't know. The former president is, <laughs> his house is being raided. I got to tell you, I've never heard anything like it. Never in my life have I heard anything like it. And I am the voice of common sense. I am not overly conservative, nor am I overly liberal. I basically am the emperor of common sense. So let me give you some common sense. If in fact you decide to raid the former president's house, certainly the optics don't look good. It looks like, well, Jersey Joe Biden and the rest are behind in the polls and big meanie Donald Trump is ahead in the polls and ahead big. We need to do something. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to raid the president's home. Now here's the deal. The American public on both sides have stood up and said, wait, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? What's going on here, FBI? What's going on here, Department of Justice? And rightfully so. Think about it. Where has our Department of Justice or the FBI, where should they get the benefit of the doubt? Let's go through some things. Originally, remember they thought Russia controlled Trump, that Trump was a Russian agent? Well, that certainly didn't hold water. In fact, Trump fought it, fought it, fought it, but you didn't really ever see any media folks come back and say, well, you know what? We were wrong. He was a Russian spy, they said. Really? Okay. Remember right before the election, the whole laptop thing with Hunter Biden, which now our good friends at different media outlets are saying, yes, in fact, this is a problem for the quote, big guy, Joe Biden. Well, guess what? Back then, they called it Russian, let me make sure I have it right, Russian disinformation. Okay, remember when big tech, oh man, all the tech companies were censoring people on the right, those that didn't think like those on the left? Do you remember that at all? I do. I remember that like it was yesterday. And whatever happened, no raids, no raids at all. On the Maxwell lady? None? No raids at all? On all the pedophiles? None? Zero? On Epstein's Island? Not one? Nothing. But all of a sudden, now Donald Trump's home needs raided. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't. I don't know. You don't know. But what I am saying is this. The Department of Justice, this administration, the FBI have all lost the benefit of the doubt to reasonable thinking people. And I say reasonable thinking people. I'm not talking about loons on the left or loons on the right. I'm not talking about any of that. I am talking about reasonable thinking people. They would say, wait a second here. You all have literally tried to paint this man with every single brush you can. He was never racist until he became president. In fact, he was a friend 
of the African-American community. He was one of the biggest donors, but all of a sudden now, boom, he is a racist, a misogynist. Uh, And maybe he is. Hey, look, we saw what Pete Rose was all about. Certainly the things that he has said point to you going, wait a second here, Donnie, baby. We got to think a little differently than what you're thinking, or at least if you think it, don't say things that you said. Maybe he is. But that overshadowed anything. My point here is simply this. If you have something, let's see it. You kind of sort of owe it to this reasonable thinking American people. If you got something, let's go. What do you got? And do it sooner than later. Which means usually, now I don't know how you look at this, the last raid that I saw in my world was literally in my town. Remember Subway Jared? Subway Jared, his house got raided. He lived about a mile from where I lived. I remember being out of town and friends of mine are like, hey, Dan, man, Subway Jared's house getting raided. I always think of him if you would, when you think of raids. A raid comes with some very bad things for the person being raided. It does. Very, I mean, you tell me, when's the last time somebody was raided and nothing happened? You almost, in this case, if you don't have anything egregious, you're almost going to have to, dare I say it, make it up. Make it up. You're going to have to come up with something because you can't go raid a former president's house. You can't. Let me tell you some people also, Jeffrey Epstein was never raided. Well, maybe he was. Hillary Clinton was never raided. Whatever happened to all those emails? Hunter Biden was never uh, raided. Why is it, and I guess it's because he's the president, we'll say that, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt, that this man and his house gets raided and none of these other folks. You all know. Of course we know. We know the deal is clear as the big fat nose on my face, and I say it to you all the time. When you are on the wrong side of the media, they come at you. Two weeks ago, I had a scathing, they said, article written about me. Yeah, I'll reprint it anytime. Because why? Because I work for OutKick, and I'm critical of the media. I anticipate at some point this show getting shut down by Google, uh, by Twitter. I do. Because when you're on the wrong side of the media, those are the kind of things in our country that are celebrated. They're ap- Now, let me back up. If Trump did wrong, amen, right away. If Hillary did wrong, amen, right away. Seems sensible to me. Again, I'm speaking to reasonable people here. I'm not speaking to you crazy people. I'm not speaking to you crazy people that say when gas prices are high, well, guess what? The president doesn't control gas prices. And then when they come down, thank you, Mr. Biden. I'm not speaking to you. You will never, ever come off of your craziness. I'm not speaking to you crazy Trump supporter who's just so all in on everything the man does. Oh, my God, he's the greatest guy ever. I mean, I'm telling you what, it's the... I'm not speaking to you because you can't speak to you. I'm speaking to logical, reasonable people. Let me ask you a question. Has the government, the Department of Justice and the FBI, have they the benefit of the doubt from you? 
if you've been paying attention. This doesn't have to be a Republican thing. This can be an anytime thing. Has anybody paid attention to anything that's going on here? Why was it Hillary Clinton raided? I mean, they were looking for emails. Why? What? And emails are always, always when you see a raid, you know what you see? They're carrying out hard drives. Always. Why wasn't and hasn't Hunter Biden been raided? I mean, he talks about his father involved in some very illegal things over in the Republic of China. Why wasn't he raided? Hell, we had, uh, what was that, uh, Swalwal sleeping with a Russian spy. We raided there? Of course not. Then you heard the idiotic things. Well, you know, paper was being flushed down toilets. What? You ever flush paper down the toilet? It takes about, uh, stuffed in there. Yeah, you stuff, hey, look, a good dump will take a toilet and make it unusable. You think stuffing paper in a toilet doesn't do the same thing? What is wrong with people? Seriously, what is wrong with people? Anybody on Epstein's client list been raided? Anyone doing any insider trading been raided? Anyone whose sons are with hookers openly doing crack on the internet been raided? Yeah, I don't think so. So this is interesting. This is fascinating. And we'll see what happens. But again, I'm only talking to reasonable people. I mean, I got guys on a YouTube chat that, oh my God, it's the greatest president ever. No, stop it. Hey, look, if you got something on them, go ahead. But I believe that we all have lost faith in our Department of Justice and our FBI, which I'm a big fan of, always law enforcement. But I don't think they get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to politicians, who's bad, who's good, who gets raided, and who doesn't. But stay tuned. Maybe they got the goods on Trump. If they do, go at him, man. Simple as that. Olivia Newton, John died, and I'm sad about it. Back when Greece came out, everybody lost their mind over Olivia Newton-John and her leather pants. Everybody did. I didn't. I'm not into leather pants. Don't know why. I'm just not. I lost my mind over Olivia Newton-John's just inherent eyes, beauty, and smile. I lost my mind over her ability to sing. I lost my mind over Greece. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know what the heck Greece was. We had a pep rally. Our team was going to the state finals after the pep rally. My girlfriend and I and a bunch of other high school kids snuck into the YNW on Broadway in Maryville, Indiana. Went through the back. Sat in the back, and I'm watching Greece. Now, you know when you're there in high school, you're there to make out, baby. But now I kind of like watching Greece. That's the kind of guy I was. What are you going to do? And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. So I became a big fan of Olivia Newton-John. In 30 years, she fought cancer. 30 years, she fought three different cancers, twice with breast cancer, and then she had cancer on the spine at 73 years old. Olivia Newton-John died yesterday, and I'm sad about it. Too many deaths. I get it. It's the circle of life. I understand it. Too many deaths is a really stupid thing to say. But in my world, people that I liked, people that I admired, people that I watched, starting to pass away. Bill Russell, Olivia Newton-John, Vince Scully, I don't like, and many, many more. My wife, Lee's ex-brother-in-law, John Shaw, died. 
So we shall see what we shall see. Twitter, what's crazy is that it was justified. Open your eyes, Dan. Uh, Fine. Like I said, if it is, it is. We'll find out. We'll see. But there isn't a single person on Twitter that knows whether or not the raid on Donald Trump's building was justified. Anyway, uh, Kevin Durant doing spoiled, whiny-ass, baby-type NBA player things. That's what Kevin Durant's doing. Kevin Durant has become the poster child for all that's bad in the NBA. Didn't need to be that way. Seemingly a really nice guy, cares for his mother. But the way he talks on podiums, the way he conducts himself in public is horrible. And adding to the horrible is the way he is now conducting business with the Brooklyn Nets. Let's be honest. He was given everything he wanted when he went to the Brooklyn Nets, including a coach in Steve Nash. Uh, Durant and that clown Kyrie Irving saying, well, we don't really need to be coached. Oh, okay. So Kevin Durant wants to trade. Of course, that's what Kevin Durant does. Kevin Durant's bitching, whining, moaning. Of course, that's what Kevin Durant does. Kevin Durant has now said, look, it's either me or the general manager, Sean Marks, or the coach. All right, fine. Well, this is Kevin Durant's coach. This is the guy he wanted. They wanted, they, he wanted Kevin Durant to have or to be coached by Steve Nash. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, All of a sudden, after a year, this no good, huh? All of a sudden, after a year, Kevin Durant wants out. Think about the mess that Brooklyn has by acquiescing to pain in the backside star players. Think about the mess right now. They had to get James Harden out of there. Kyrie Irving decided he wasn't going to play. He wasn't going to get a shot. Now that he is playing, I don't even know what team Kyrie Irving's on. I guess it's still the Nets. Kevin Durant comes over, and it's not like you didn't know who Kevin Durant was. You absolutely knew who Kevin Durant was. He had done the same thing in Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant had done the same thing in Golden State. And now all of a sudden, Kevin Durant is doing the same thing in Brooklyn, and you're surprised by it. Boston will be the next team dumb enough to do it. They'll be dumb enough to do it. Uh, I can see Durant going to Boston, wanting out after a year or two and claiming the fans are racist. That's the Kevin Durant way. Man, oh man. See, here's what I don't understand. If I were a general manager of an NBA team, I would look at what teams win. What teams win. And I would say, all right, what's at the core? And I'll Betcha, there's two things at the core. One, you got to have talent. In the NBA, you got to have a star, Durant's a star. Two, you got to have some type of culture where players buy in, the best players buy in to everything done within the organization. Brad Stevens told me one time, and he made a really good point. You know, I he said, quote, I think the reason we're so successful at Butler is everybody in Hinkle Fieldhouse is pulling in the same direction. There's a bunch of offices in Hinkle Fieldhouse. You got janitors, you got administrators, you got all kinds of people in Hinkle Fieldhouse. Nobody's sitting there telling a player he's getting screwed. Everybody's pushing in the same direction. You know, the, the women's basketball coach, the women's basketball assistant, the men's basketball coach, I think the baseball coach is in there. There's nowhere for players to go to think they've been, they're being screwed. With Kevin Durant, you don't have that. With Kevin Durant, all you have is a guy that comes in and immediately, immediately thinks that he's being screwed. 
and immediately causes a problem, immediately bitches, whines, and moans, and immediately recruits. And this is the most important thing. He recruits. What does that mean, Dan? Well, that means he goes and gets others to sit, bitch, whine, and moan with him. That's the way of the world. And if you don't know that, I don't know what to tell you, because that is absolutely the way of the world. I'm just saying, hey, can we show, can we show the uh, executive vice chairman, the guy who's running the, uh, uh, the New Jersey Nets, can we show his statement? It's a pretty simple statement. He says, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. No kidding. That's exactly what you should do. Kevin, throw your little tantrum. Ah, it's only the middle, getting to the middle of August. We'll see in training camp. In a statement that nobody, absolutely nobody, didn't see coming, Kale Gundy, the story we talked about yesterday, the fired coach, of the Oklahoma Sooners and a Sooner legend used, quote, racially charged, a racially charged word multiple times. Now, we all know what that word is. And multiple times, um, that's interesting. That changes the entire dynamic here. Like, this isn't just, hey, look, um, I'm going to say a word by mistake I'm going to say the word, not recognize that it's the wrong word to say, and then I'm going to say it again. That's a problem. Now, fast forward. Uh, Brent Venables trying to do damage control. Brent Venables basically says, and I'm going to use the end of it, his resignation was the right thing to do. We will move forward positively. He chose to read aloud to his players not once but multiple times, a racially charged word that is objectable to everyone and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university or our football program. This is what I told you yesterday. What I told you yesterday was that the word that he used, obviously we know the word, uh, you can't have coming out of your program. You just can't because everybody's going to use that against you. However, However, the plot doth thicken. The plot doth thicken a lot because now, ladies and gentlemen, um, college football is going to be chaotic. College football is not going to slow down. Brett Venables, uh, Kaylee Cat Gundy basically said, hey, look, you are uh, – he – let me back up. She is alleging that players kept their mouths shut. Interesting, you told your players to keep their mouths shut about what really happened. And heads down, the truth will always come to fruition. It's only a matter of time. Now, I try to think through things. And I don't know what that means. I don't. Like, if I was a head coach and this was my situation, I'd be like, fellas, you know, uh, in this day and age, I can't tell you what to do, but I would think that you would not uh, 
want to go out yelling and screaming about this. We're going to take care of it. That's what I would think, I would say. And they took care of it. They fired Gundy. So I don't know what his daughter is alluding to, but I got to tell you, she's alluding to something. But that's what I would do as a coach. Sometimes you got to think as a coach, what would I do? Well, what I would do is say, fellas, we got a situation here that I'm handling. They hired me to be the football coach, and I'm going to do everything in the best interest of you all, the best interest of Oklahoma football. And Coach Gundy's going to be gone, and I would appreciate it if we would just keep our heads down. Let me use her words. Keep our heads down, go to work, and don't talk about it. But this is what I would do. But we live in a world, you make your own decisions relative to that. But I'm just asking you, hey, look, Coach Gundy made a huge mistake. He's going to pay a very steep price. Uh, I would appreciate keeping your head down. Let's keep focusing on going forward. But you got to do what you got to do. That's I, I don't know what else Cat Gundy could be alluding to here. You know, if an article comes out tomorrow that says, well, you know, Brett Venables told his players not to talk about the Kale Gundy situation, reasonable people would say, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, who the hell wants that out for conversation? Who the hell wants that out on social media? Nobody. So the truth of the matter is, again, I, I, it's almost like the Trump thing. I'm waiting to see what comes out of it. And right now, I got to tell you, I don't think much is going to come out of the Oklahoma thing. Maybe I'm dead wrong. Clip that and, and, and play it back for me. But hell yeah, I would tell the players, keep your head down. Let's go to work and let's figure it out. Makes sense to me. Uh, Jason Hayward. Now, I put this in there because as those of you that know me know that I am a massive Cub fan. The the general manager, Jeb Hoyer, says that Jason Hayward won't be back with the Cubs. Jason Hayward signed a monster crazy deal, and it was a good deal. I don't care what any media person tells you. I don't care what numbers they run out there for Jason Hayward. Here's why it was a good deal for the Cubs. It was a good deal for the Cubs because for the first time in any living human being's lifetime, they won a World Series with Jason Hayward playing right field, winning gold gloves, not hitting a ton, but being a damn leader in the clubhouse with a speech when they were in a rain delay in Game 7. That, to me, is worth its weight in gold. That, to me, gave more people more joy than any guy that hit 300 in his career for the Cubs and became an all-world player. That, to me, means more because, frankly, winning means more to me. It just does. My whole life, the Cubs were in the playoffs a few times. And then in the 2020s, when they expanded the playoffs, they made it a few more. But in my world, 84 was the greatest year because, for the first time, Cubs made the playoffs. 89, another great year. Cubs made the playoffs. And then with all the expanded playoffs, Cubs started making it. And Cub fans took it for granted, but they could never get to the World Series, and they could never win the damn World Series until 2016. So, ladies and gentlemen, stop crushing Jason Hayward. You know how many people, this is true, I know at least 10, including myself, that went to their father's grave and put a Cubs hat or a six of old style on their grave. I got goosebumps right now. You can look at my arms. 
And Jason Hayward helped that. That's right. Jason Hayward facilitated that, helped facilitate that. And I think Cub fans ought to celebrate Jason Hayward today, tomorrow, and forever. He's got one year left on his contract. Basically, they're going to pay him to go away. They're rebuilding the whole thing. He's been banged up this year. I don't care. All right. Next on the headlines list. Did you see this? Put that tweet up, will you? From uh, uh, Brett McMurphy. McMurphy, McMurphy, (laughs) Brett McMurphy on college football television negotiations. Holy heck. College football negotiations with the Big Ten are crazy. Absolutely crazy right now. And I got to tell you, this is going to send shockwaves. Now, you read this, and it says very simply, college football media rights, Big Ten media rights, are not going to include the Big Ten. Or, excuse me, ESPN. Are you crazy? What? Now, if you want to follow somebody, and again, I'm going on a limb here because I don't know if Bob Thompson is in great standing with Fox, and that's who I work for. He's a retired president of Fox Sports Network and Fox International. He is talking about all of these things. And one of the things he says is this is not Fox against ESPN. Nobody says it's Fox versus CBS. It's business, and it's about placing your network in the best position to get a piece of the next college football playoffs. It's very, very interesting. Bob Thompson, his expectation is this. Fox and FS1 get three Big Ten games per year. CBS 1, ESPN 1 to 2, Big Ten Network the rest. All four share in basketball with ESPN getting the bulk of conference games. That's what Bob Thompson is saying. But as you see here, I don't know what happened there, but as you see here, or as you saw here, it doesn't look like ESPN, according to these guys, is going to get a slice of the Big Ten pie. Now, here's the deal. I don't buy it. I believe Bob Thompson. I believe men and women that have actually been in negotiations. That's what I believe. And if you want to follow Bob Thompson, it's R-I-T Sports on Twitter. Seems to be smarter than everyone. You know, he took Dennis Dodd and slapped him around a little bit. Dennis Dodd tried to make a point, and he said, no, that's not how it works. So I would, and of course, some guy, some idiot uh, said to Bob Thompson, you've never negotiated these. And Bob Thompson had a great response. Let's see, I've done an excess of 200 television rights deals among them, four Big 8, Big 12, three Pac-12, two Big 10. Yeah. I mean, people just come on here and act like idiots. But Bob Thompson says this. It doesn't make sense to extend an exclusive negotiating window. That's the clause that the network asks for in a contract, not the conference. Big Big Pac-12 should want to be outside the window so they can talk to anybody and everyone legally. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting what happens here. We're talking about billions of dollars to the Big Ten. How about that? Billions. 
and I believe ESPN will have a piece. Now, a lot of people don't. In fact, most people don't. Most people don't believe the Big Ten will have any piece at all, or excuse me, ESPN will have any piece at all. I, I don't see that. Maybe. I don't know. See what happens when I leave a network? Do you see what happens? Dockage leaves, all of a sudden, basketball may not in the Big Ten exist on ESPN. Do you see what happened when I left Bob Knight? I leave Bob Knight and he gets fired two years later. Hold on to me. Like I'm grim death. Hold on. When Dockage leaves, bad things happen. Hang on to Dockage. That's the lesson in all of this. I'm sorry, but it is. That's the lesson. Hey, by the way, coming up, I got my five worst NFL teams. You're probably not going to like them. Then I've got my five top NFL running backs. Uh, I said yesterday, I'll say it again, I'll keep saying it. I love preseason polls. I do. Ain't nothing wrong with preseason polls. Don't at me about preseason polls. I love preseason polls. Look at them. Glorious. Go down the left line. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Notre Dame's got a coach that didn't know where the hell he was in the sideline. Hopefully he recruited really well, which everyone tells me he did. And if he did, he's got a chance. But from a coaching perspective, he's two or three years away. Michigan, Jimbo Fisher, the Utes. How about, how about that Whittingham guy, Shane Whittingham, whatever the hell his name is. What a coach. What a great coach. He's kept going what Urban had in the Liberty Bowl like 20 years ago. Oklahoma, Baylor. Did you know Baylor was fifth last year? Wow. Pitt without a quarterback and a wide receiver. The U. Everybody wants the U to be good. Texas, Wake Forest. Dave Clawson doing a great job. Kyle Whittingham, geez, what's wrong with me? Wisconsin, way too low. Wisconsin has an easy schedule. Wisconsin, I would move them over too, make them 10th. Kentucky, I told you about the guys on the driving range at Medina Country Club talking to me about being Kentucky fans. Didn't I tell you that story? Hey, Dan Dockage. Hi, guys. You know Kentucky's great? I go, Kentucky's great? Yeah, man. I thought they were going to talk about basketball. First time ever I met Kentucky football fans. It was shocking. Yeah, man, Kentucky football. Stoops has got it going. I go, oh, great. Then we start talking about crowds at Kentucky and how great it is to go to Kentucky. These two kids went. One went to Kentucky. One went to Eastern. First time ever. Ole Miss, Houston. Let's go. Let's go. I love, I don't like, I love me some preseason polls. Well, you know. Every team's just the same damn five teams at the top. Good. I got a word for you. All you teams from six to whenever, get better. Get better. What the hell? Why, why is Alabama so? You think Alabama's a hotbed of football players? You think if you just get in state? Hey, Florida should never be down. I remember Urban telling me, hey, look, I don't even have to go but two hours from home to recruit the best team in the country. I don't know what to tell you. All right, we come back. Five worst NFL teams. Five best NFL running backs. It's don't at me. It's Doc. It's former number one pick. First pick in the draft. Jeff George joins us talking about the pressure of being the number one pick in the draft when we come back. 
Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Uh, let me ask you a question. We always talk about the top five. Man, these are the five best. These teams are so damn good, I cannot even tell you. Well, who's the five worst teams in the NFL? Who's the five that just absolutely stinks? Now, my number one is not going to surprise you. But my number five might. My number five is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, look, I get it. The initial reaction, Mike Tomlin's great, man. You don't know nothing, Dawkins. I, yeah, I know. I, I know I don't. I, I know. I, I don't know nothing. I literally know nothing. But I know this. When it's between Mitchell Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, and Mason Rudolph as your starting quarterback, and then you combine it with, well, frankly, they don't look very good to begin with, I got to tell you, that's a recipe for disaster. Great running back, Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris is terrific. Last year, the defense was middling 13th. Last year, they wrote a little bit of emotion. They did. I'll give it to them. But this year, and I think Mike Tomlin's a great football coach. I do. I think Mike Tomlin is a damn good football coach. I think Mike Tomlin is one of those guys like John Harbaugh that just kind of sort of maybe, oh, I don't know, wins for you. But I ain't buying it right now. I'm not buying right now that those three guys, any one of those three guys can win. I don't think you can. Defense, it isn't a steel curtain there. I mean, let me see. Najee, uh, Najee Harris ran for 1,200 yards. More about him later on. But when you look at the NFL and you say to yourself, all right, what wins? Somebody tell me what wins. You know what the answer to that is? Quarterback play. And you know who the quarterbacks of those are? Nobody that's ever had real success. Now, I will say this about Trubisky. In a world where, well, frankly, the Chicago Bears stink and stink and stink, Mitchell Trubisky actually got them into the playoffs. And if you think about it just for a second, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Because in Chicago, everybody that comes in, every coach that comes in, Every general manager, and there are a ton, is the next savior. Until when? Until they're not. And then what happens? Oh, I don't know. They get out. So many. Average life expectancy for a Chicago Bears quarterback has got to be what? Two years? Maybe? I don't know. But Trubisky actually got him into the playoffs. So there is a little bit of hope. But when I let me go back to the Steelers for just a second. Steelers in the non-conference season, they play the Bucs, they play the Patriots, not easy. They go to the Colts, not easy. They do go to the Vikings, they do go to the Panthers, easy. They go to the Ra or the Raiders come in. It's a very tough schedule. But the good thing for the Steelers, or else they may be number one on this list, is they play the Patriots. They play these teams at home. The Ra uh, excuse me, the Raiders at home. So the Buccaneers at home. 
and, you know, you got a chance. Hell, Pittsburgh's so jacked up, Heinz Field is no longer called Heinz Field, and everybody mad about that too? So, yeah, don't at me about it. I, gotta, I don't have them the worst. Fifth worst means you're what, 27th? That's not terrible. Yeah, it is, because the Steelers are way better than that. And the Steelers will be way better than that if or when Kenny Pickett can actually figure out being the first player, being the first quarterback picked in the NFL uh, draft means something, and you better figure that out very quickly. Yeah, I don't care about Dan Campbell eating grit. I don't care about Dan Campbell eating dirt. I don't care about Dan Campbell being on hard knocks and everybody's going to fall in love with Dan Campbell. There are some meatheads you don't like, and there are some meatheads you do like. And Dan Campbell's a meathead that everybody seems to like. Dan Campbell was actually interviewed for the Colts job uh, before they decided on Frank Reich. In fact, I think Dan Campbell was interviewed when they decided on Josh McDaniel and the greatest general manager in the history of football uh, didn't get or got Josh McDaniel, who said, no, adios, I'm walking as quickly as he got here. So the truth of the matter is, um, I'm not, you guys love, you guys do, I don't. You love the meathead guy when you love the meathead guy. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, That's why the Detroit Lions are fourth. The Detroit Lions probably could be made to be first if we wanted to go that route. The Detroit Lions under Dan Campbell have literally done nothing. Oh, man, they got better. Oh, man, you should be in Detroit. You should be in the D. You don't understand. No, I don't understand. You know what I understand? Guys that I look at and think they can win and guys at quarterback that I think you can win with. I don't think you're going to win with Jared Goff at this stage in his career. I don't. I could be dead wrong. The vision isn't hard, but I think they're the worst team in that division. Why? Because I think Justin Fields is pretty good. And the reports I get out of Chicago are that Eberflus has that defense flying around, which is something Eberflus could get done. There's not a great expectation right now in Chicago, so I think they'll be better than Detroit. And, And here's the other deal. Hard Knocks is coming into Detroit. All right, I'm going to give you, before you rip me, I'm going to give you the skill position players on the Detroit Lions. You ready? Jared Goff, you like him? DeAndre Swift, you like him? Amon Ray St. Brown, you like him? DJ Chark, who's used to losing and losing and losing. I mean, you tell me, hey, you don't understand. Aiden Hutchinson in that defense is going to be great. Hope so. Uh, Jeff Okuda's pretty good. Defense will be all right. I think defense will be just fine. But tell me what wins in the NFL. Yeah, you got a guard. There's no question about it you got a guard. But I can give you these guys again. DeAndre Swift is your running back. Okay. 32nd in the league, 4.1 carry, or 4.1 per carry, 617 yards or whatever the hell it was. Tell you, it's a bad football team. Now, nobody's going to say it's a bad football team because, well, you know, uh, 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 don't you understand? Dan Campbell does karaoke. Amon Ray St. Brown's pretty good. 90 catches, nothing wrong with him. 
But it's a bad football team. This is a bad football team with a coach that is trying to be a star. Bad mix. And a bad quarterback. A few years ago, when he came out of Cal and he was with his original team, you'd have thought, okay, hey, look, he's pretty good. Jared Goff, no. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets are my number three team. And the only reason the Jets aren't last is because the team that's last deserves to be there until proven otherwise. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets had a great draft. Oh, my God, pick up your phone. Uh, Put it in. Jets draft, A-plus. Really? Okay. Wow, that's awesome. They got an A-plus? Zach Wilson, we now root for. And we root for Zach Wilson. Why, you ask? I'll tell you why. Because Zach Wilson got a little something-something with mommy's friend. We ain't mad about that. We like that. We support that. But they, what are they? Elijah Moore's all right. Corey Davis, I'm just looking here. Brees Hall, there's nobody on here that you go, damn, man, it's pretty good. I get it. Hey, did you see that draft that they had? I did. I did. It's a nice draft. Great. Let's go. Go fight win. But I'm just telling you, the Jets are going to be horrible. Unless Zach Wilson decides, I'm now a stud. I've grown up. I've had my mitzvah. That's right. I'm now a man. I'm ready to go. If he's done that, God bless him. But if he hasn't, they don't have enough. Number two, the Falcons. Name me a player on the Falcons real quick. Name me one. Marcus Mariota. Here's what the quarterback of the Falcons is. Are you ready for this? Marcus Mariota. Think about this. Marcus Mariota was used by the Raiders last year in a special package as a running back, as a running quarterback, I should say. I'll give him credit for that. As a running quarterback. He came in last, uh, last year in certain packages, and the threat of the run was what Marcus Mariota had. It wasn't a pass. It was the run. And now guess who the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons is? Marcus Mariota. They better just do one thing and one thing only in Atlanta, and that is throw the damn football to Kyle Pitts. That's it. Don't do anything else. Just throw the football to Kyle Pitts, and you two won't be last. Uh, the number one t- drum roll, please. Until further notice, the worst organization in professional sports, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't tell me about Doug Peterson. Don't tell me. You know what Doug Peterson gets? Doug Peterson gets, excuse me, the residual effect of Urban Meyer, the first coach in the history of that franchise, not named Tom Coughlin, to actually try to bring discipline to that joint. They didn't like it. He didn't treat us like men. He was mean. Shut up. There's a reason your organization stinks every year. Every year. This ain't like Urban came in and took over a juggernaut. He took over one and 16. Actually doubled the win total in a short stint. If the idiots that run the joint would have quit worrying about public opinion and their players bitching, whining, and moaning, right now you would have had a team in Jacksonville that could probably compete 
for at least, I don't know, seven or eight wins. But you brought in the coach pleaser. You brought in a guy that was so bad he got fired a couple years after winning a Super Bowl. That's who you brought in. You can tell me all you want about, oh, he's nice, or we play top golf, we do all this stuff. My backside. You brought in a guy that was so horse bleep in a tough football town like Philadelphia, they got rid of him in two weeks, two years after he won a Super Bowl. Don't tell me about Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson is a figment of a media that didn't like Urban. Urban made mistakes. Of course he did. But I got to tell you, if they'd have kept him right now, you would see the Jacksonville Jaguars where they eight or nine wins. And don't even talk to me about the Houston Texans. I don't listen to reporters. I don't listen to polls. You know what I listen to? Sean Salisbury. Sean Salisbury told me, hey, Dan, I'm telling you, Davis Mills would have been the first quarterback picked in this year's draft. They like Davis Mills. They think Lovey Smith is multiple defensively. They think Lovey Smith is doing a good job. That's why I don't have the Texans here. And for you Colts fans out there, understand this. Opening game at the Texans ain't going to be no picnic, baby. Ain't going to be no something, something. Remember, I told you, if the line's too high, take the Texans. Five best running backs in the league. By the way, breaking news, Serena Williams is going to retire after the U.S. Open, and I'm sad. I love watching Serena Williams. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Five best running backs in the NFL. Don't at me, because this list is all you need to know. Number five, Najee Harris, Pittsburgh. Hey, Dan. Pittsburgh's one of the five worst teams, but they got one of the five best running backs. Don't make no sense. Tough. Najee Harris, 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns, uh, 74 receptions. Look, I don't even care about that. You know what Najee Harris does? He runs like Walter Payton. He runs like a damn man. He does. He runs like a man. He doesn't go out of bounds. He cuts inside. Great dude. Every time I hear Najee Harris interviewed, I want to say that I helped raise him. I didn't. But he's such a good dude. And he's so good. And he's so explosive. And he's so smart that he's a top five running back after only one year in the NFL. 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns, 4.0 carry, all that kind of stuff. 74 receptions is what gets me for him. You know, it was a few years back, and I got crushed for this. This is before he lost his mind. But I just tell people, Le'Veon Bell was the best running back in the league. Whenever I put it on Twitter, people would go crazy. Adrian Peterson. No, it's not Adrian Peterson. Just watch. Just watch for yourself. Joe Mixon's number four. Joe Mixon of the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns, 42 carries. All that's great. But when I watch Joe Mixon run, I feel like he's going to get me five yards every time he touches the football. There's nothing you can do with Joe Mixon that he can't do. There's nothing you can set up for Joe Mixon that he can't do. Obviously, they took him out at the end of the game in the Super Bowl. I don't even understand it. That's on them. I don't care. I just know this. There are certain running backs that when I watch that are different. And when I see a different running back, I like that running back. I don't like Joe Mixon's history, obviously, uh, in the Chipotle or wherever the hell it was. It was idiotic, stupid, childish. And I, I hope that he's a better person than that now. But I'm not ranking people here. I'm ranking running backs. And Joe Mixon, to me, is the fourth best running back in the league. 
Behind who, you ask? Nick Chubb. Ain't nothing wrong with Nick Chubb. 1,260 yards, only eight touchdowns. He went for 5.5 yards a carry. Needs to catch the ball a little bit more, but I don't care. When Nick Chubb gets the ball, these next three guys, when he gets the ball and he is a featured back, I always feel like Nick Chubb is going to do something great. Cleveland Browns, I don't think they're very good. They might get good when Deshaun Watson comes back, but you all rate Deshaun Watson a hell of a lot higher than I do. I've seen Deshaun Watson lose too many games in Indianapolis on his own, by himself, fumbling the ball at the goal line, not once but twice two years ago. Yeah, I don't want to hear about the greatness of Deshaun Watson, but I will hear about the greatness of Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb is terrific. I do. I think Nick Chubb is as good a running back as there is in the league, not named the next guy or the next guy. Second best running back, and it pains me because I kind of want to make him first. (sighs) Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts went for 1,811 yards last year. Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts actually had a coaching staff that was dumb enough not to give him the football 27 straight times in a game last year until Quentin Nelson, The offensive guard went to Frank Reich and said, hey, let the man eat. We got you, coach. When the offensive guards have to start coaching the coaches, you got a problem with the coaches. And that's what happened. But despite all that, Jonathan Taylor, 106 yards a game, 1,800 yards, 18 touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor is legitimately a home run threat every single time he touches the football. And I'll give you a betting nugget on Jonathan Taylor. Three or more 150-yard-plus games is on the books. You can bet it. I don't know which way I'll go. He had three last year over 150 yards. That would have won it for you. But in every one of those, he had some long, crazy game. I could make Jonathan Taylor the number one running back in the league, and I could be very, very happy with it. Jonathan Taylor, to me, is the player that most resembles the great Walter Payton. Walter Payton is the best football player that I ever saw. And I say football player, not running back. Walter Payton caught passes. Walter Payton threw passes. Walter Payton blocked with enthusiasm. Walter Payton never went out of bounds unless he was shoved out of bounds. He always turned in, extended the ball a little bit, hoping to get an extra yard uh, on an unsuspecting referee. Walter Payton, to me, the best football player that I have ever seen or ever hoped to see, and Jonathan Taylor is the same ilk. Jonathan Taylor blocks with enthusiasm. A blitzing linebacker comes. He squares his shoulder, lowers his rear end, spreads his legs, and boom! He punches as opposed to receiving a punch. Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield. Very good hands. They need to go to him more out of the backfield. Jonathan Taylor in the middle of the field. You know, a little curl into the middle of the field, catching the ball with his back to the defense is fearless. He turns and he goes. Every time Jonathan Taylor catches the football, he is a threat to score a touchdown. I don't care how far. He has sprinter speed. He's tougher than hell. He is the closest thing I have seen to Walter Payton, but he's not the number one running back in the league. It's a little bit like me saying the Jaguars are the worst NFL team until proven differently. Well, Derrick Henry, to me, is the best running back in the NFL until proven otherwise. Eight games last year, 937 yards, still 10 touchdowns, got hurt, you know, 2,026 yards two years ago. Body should be somewhat fresh. Here's the other thing with Derrick Henry. Man, I watched his workout. 
He does things no human being should ever do. I mean, he's doing push-ups suspended with heavy ropes and chains around his neck, and he's doing them. He's got all these weight. He's doing things. And, of course, he, the other day, was shown on OutKick 360, I think it was, giving a stiff arm, working on the stiff arm. Pretty incredible stuff. Look, I think Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry could be flip-flopped. Whatever direction you wanted to go, you want to go Henry, fine. You want to go Taylor, fine. I think it's interesting. Both teams are in the division. And, of course, it's not a competition one against the other because, well, they don't play against each other. Jonathan Taylor plays against the Colts' defense. Or, excuse me, against the uh, Titans' defense. Simple. Derrick Henry plays against the Colts' defense. Simple. I always like it when people say, hey, you know, this coach going up against, you know, whatever, this player going up against Joe Montana going up against Bart Starr or whatever. No, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, Serena Williams just announced her retirement. Now, look, I am a massive fan of Serena Williams. The reason I like Serena Williams is she seems kind of fun. Now, she seems really fun. She yells, she screams, she's won 23 Grand Slam titles, the most in the open era, second most all-time behind Margaret Court, who has 24. She was number one for 319 straight weeks. I don't know what this means, but I'm reading it, including 186 consecutive weeks. She finished the year number one five times. I just like her. She has 73 career titles. Fifth overall. She won the Australian Open seven times, the French Open three times, Wimbledon seven times, the U.S. Open six times. She won 85% of her matches in doubles. Doubles. She won 85% of her matches in singles. Man. Mixed doubles, she won 87% of her matches. Serena Williams won gold medal twice in doubles, three times in doubles, once in singles. Now that's getting the most out of her career. Clothing lines, all that kind of stuff, always carried herself. I have a friend whose sister, uh, Kathy Stroya, for a long time was the trainer on the PGA or on the women's tennis tour. And she knows these women like nobody else. Nobody else. And she said the Williams sisters are the nicest people on the tour. Vicious competitors, hard as hell on the court, but as nice a people, if not the nicest, of anybody on the tour. Man, I'm going to watch every match of Serena Williams. Hope there's a lot of them in the U.S. Open. I do. I hope there's a bunch. Hey, when we come back, we have got two things coming up. We've got the great Jeff George. First pick in the NFL draft. That's right. I said it. First pick in the NFL draft. And, ladies and gentlemen, in honor of the woke idiot, Jalen Rose, we have our Mount Rushmore of stupid sports takes. That's right. All that coming up. Jeffrey Scott George coming up here in a minute. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. 
You know, you guys remember Jeff George as the number one pick in the 1990 uh, NFL draft. I remember sitting in Hinkle Fieldhouse watching Jeff George play basketball as a high school kid, taking the ball out of the basket and the press breaker. And I'll remember this. Maybe I'm wrong, Jeff. But the press breaker was Jeff gets it out of the basket when the other team scored as quick as he could, dropped back behind the end zone line, rolled out and fired it down the basketball court to two guys that were streaking, one on the right, one on the left. And if they weren't there, there was a guy in the middle. I remember that in Hinkle Fieldhouse when you were with Warren Central playing. I don't know if it was a regional or a semi-state, <laughs> but that was the press break, big boy. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that seems like yesterday. That was uh, in the regional uh, in high school playing uh, at the time, the number one team in the state at uh, Broad Ripple. And uh, that was our game plan. Just take the ball out, and uh, I just find a target and fast break and try and hit a layup, and that's how we beat them. So, uh, yeah, that's a great memory. That's a good memory. <laughs> hey, what, if we, one of the reasons I remember it is I went back and I told Coach Knight, I said, hey, I saw the best press break I've ever seen. And, and now, the guy's the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, so we tried it, right? And – I forget. I think it was <laughs> Calvert Chaney was running, maybe Greg Graham, and whoever took it out kept spinning the ball. You know what I mean? So the ball, when you throw a basketball, it would right. curve. We couldn't. You never. You never <laughs> curved it. You just threw it. <laughs> I threw it like a football. That's all I could do. So. <laughs> hey, um, how much? I just saw one of the reasons I thought about. Uh, there's a lot of reasons I wanted to have you on, but I just saw on YouTube, the number one pick in the draft in basketball, Paulo Banchero, was playing in a game, and his veteran named Murray just was a jackass to him. I mean, fired the ball at him, made fun of him. And then they got on Twitter, and the guy, Murray, who's a good NBA player, was ripping him about being the number one pick. You know, take that number one stuff home. You're the number one pick in the draft in 90. You go to hometown Colts. How much heat is on you as a number one pick? Well, you know, it's uh, different nowadays, but um, there was a ton of pressure on me. You know, obviously growing up Indianapolis and being a number one pick here and being on a, on a team, a franchise that was struggling and not doing very well since they moved from Baltimore. And, you know, it is all on your shoulders, but, you know, I guess that's why they pay you. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you have to be patient with somebody. You have to have a, a good supporting cast. And we just weren't very good in 90, uh, you know, front office. We really, we didn't have a GM that, uh, that ran the show like, uh, you know, like the Colts do now, or back, back in the day when they had, had Bill Polian. Um, I would imagine my time would have been a lot different. Uh, the outcome would have been a lot different if we had uh, better leadership from the ownership all the way down to the GM. And, uh, we didn't have a president. Um, so, you know, times have changed now. If you don't go out and produce in year one, year two, uh, the, the type of money that they're paying you now, um, teams are going to get rid of you. So they're a little bit patient with me, but we just never really got better in uh, not just on the field player-wise. Uh, we just not, never got better in the front office as well. So they changed and they got good ownership, good leadership, and, uh, and uh, you know, became one of the best franchises in the NFL. 
When you when you walk into the locker room as a number one pick, what what what's the vibe from other players? You know, uh, I, you know, I can only go on obviously my experience, um, but there's a lot of uh, yes, jealousy. Um, you know, when you when you're around a veteran group of guys at, at, at each position, there's you know, think obviously, you know, who's Who's this young guy, this hot shot coming in, making at the time $2 million, um, which was incredible at the time. But now it's, you know, fifth, sixth string guys make that money. But uh, players just look at you different. You have to carry yourself different. You know, the, the, you're the face of the franchise. Uh, you know, you go out in public, you have to act a certain way. Uh, you have to be the first guy in the facility. You have to be the last guy that left. Um, you know, and that was that was great because, you know, the pad, you loved football. You loved the, the passion was there. And, you couldn't believe you're making all this this money and you know playing a kid's game, uh, but you you looked at obviously different. And uh, if you don't come out and you don't win, um, you know that uh, that changes re- really quickly. And I think that's kind of what happened to me. You know, like I said, we weren't we weren't very good, and uh, we were in a rebuilding process. And you know, from day one, they look at you as all right. This hot shot's going to come in here and make all this money, and we better go to the playoffs this year. And you know, when that doesn't happen, uh, things turn pretty quickly. So, um, but you can, uh, you know, how you carry yourself, how you work, how you, uh, um, you know, work ethic, how you lead, um, you know, that carries uh, a, a, a lot of weight. And uh, if you're not able to do that at a young age, if you can't go in there as a 22-year-old kid and lead a 35-year-old guy, um, it's going to be hard on you. It's almost, I mean, in, in, in many ways, would, would it have been better? Do you believe, looking back at your career, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers sat a little bit. Guys have sat and done well, and guys haven't sat and done well. What, what do you think, you know, you have a son that's playing quarterback. What, what do you think is the best thing? Let, let, let's just take you. What would, be, what would have been the best thing for you? Would it have been to sit a year and maybe learn and figure it all out? Well, you know, when you're a competitor, uh, you want to get out there and play. And when you feel like you're the best guy, um, there's no doubt you want to play. You don't want to run away or shy away from that competition. And um, in my case, uh, it prepared me really well. It just so happened that we just didn't build. We didn't uh, We didn't get better each year. Uh, you know, we, uh, um, you know, I felt like each year we, we would lose a guy or at a key position and we wouldn't uh, – uh, you know, go out and get, uh, you know, spend the money and go out and get, you know, top receivers, top linemen, um, top defensive guy. Really, as, as a quarterback, you want the best defense in the, in the league, at least a top ten, top five defense. Is that, you know, it, it, it just that that will make you better. But we just didn't go out and do that. But um, yeah, it uh, it uh, um, you just have to build. You have to build around that guy. You have to. Uh, say, hey, this is our franchise, and when you're the face of the franchise, you just carry yourself differently, and and, uh, and you you hope that the the front office does the same. You 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 played for a number of different teams. You played for the Redskins for a minute. You you were uber successful with the Vikings, uh, the Raiders, obviously the Colts, the Falcons. Was there one franchise when you left Indianapolis that you went, man, god dang, I wish I'd been drafted by this. This is the way to do things. You know, there, uh, there's no doubt that uh, well, my best year was when I was with Minnesota, and 
I kind of got sidetracked there on your question a lot. I kind of forgot what you asked me. Um, but uh, um, it, what, what was the last question you asked me? What, Jeff, was, was there a – was there <laughs> – you know, you played for a number of different teams, and I, I mentioned them, including Minnesota. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Was there one French right. – go ahead. No, I, uh, I wanted to go back to your question last when you said that, uh, um, you know, being pick number one, it would have been better to, to play – I didn't finish the I lost my train of thought, but that's absolutely you go to a team, sit, sit and, and wait. And you play in year three and year four, and you let that team develop around you. Kind of like the example of uh, in Miami, I think people are jumping all over Tua, and whether or not he's going to play, uh, be the type of quarterback that he was at Alabama. You know, you don't know, but you surround him with all the talent. They got a great defense. They got great receivers. They got a great running game. They're going to protect him. And, this is the year. If he doesn't produce this year, then you think, well, maybe he's just not the guy that uh, we thought he was when we drafted him. But um, the competitor in you wants to go out there and play in year one, go out there and, and, and prove that you were worth a, a number one pick. But that's only possible if the team builds around you. So to your uh, next question, the best team that I played with is uh, obviously it was Minnesota. Surrounded me with a great group of guys. I had some Hall of Famers and uh, – uh, and Tim or in uh, Chris Carter and Randy Moss. I had a great running back in Robert Smith. And off the line, offensive line was great. We were just missing one guy on defense that uh, that can go in there like a Dw- Dwight Freeney or Robert Mathis. that can just take over a game. And if we had that, um, you know, I think the time that I played, the, the year that I played, I think the last 12 games we were, you know, 10 and two maybe went to the playoffs, but got beat by the year by the team. Uh, uh, the St. Louis Rams when they won it. Um, and uh, we were that type of team, but we were just missing that one guy on defense that could take us to uh, to the Super Bowl. And I wish in my career, I wish I would have retired at Minnesota Viking um, because that's where I had my most success. Uh, the coaching staff was great. The ownership uh, was great. And, uh, um, and we just won. So when you're around a great group of guys, a good supporting cast as a quarterback, I just fit in so well with those guys, and uh, my career obviously would have been different if I would have come out uh, as a rookie and landed on a team like Minnesota that was uh, already there, and they just needed a quarterback to take them to the next level. And and as you said, that's almost impossible. Uh, you know, it's like you come out of college, you're the best player in college. People are out oh, of next Marino. You sling it like that, and. I mean, if somebody would have told you, think back on it, if somebody would have told you, hey, Jeff, it's great, we made you our number one pick, but you're going to have to sit for a couple years, how would you have really reacted back as a young kid? Well, you know, again, you're a competitor and you uh, you want to play right off, uh, but at the same time, I didn't know any better. I, ne- I needed somebody to sit me down and say, hey, this is the way it's going to happen, the way uh, we're going to build, we're going to build around you, and you're going to learn the offense and you're going to be a coach on the field. And uh, when you step on that field, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be your time. You're going to shine. We're going to put you in the best position to be successful. And, uh, um, you know, and I just didn't have that. I, you know, again, it's, uh, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm blessed. I'm, you know, to be the number one pick uh, in, in, the, in, in the draft was great. The Colts made me that, um, you know, we did, we didn't win. I'm not blaming anybody other, you know, I was part of that team and, and you can say that, uh, you know, this it was this reason, that reason, but I was part of it. So uh, I did not win, and uh, and, and you move on. So um, I just wish I could have brought a, a winner to uh, 
to the Colts. I wish I would have played on the teams back in, uh, uh, you know, the early 2000s when they had, um, you know, all the all pro receivers, the offensive linemen. You know, again, I mentioned Freeney and Mathis. And if you have those guys, you can't help but win. What's your relationship with the Colts? You live here in Indy. What's your relationship with them? Uh, it, it's it's a, a good relationship. When I see him, Chris Ballard's a great guy. I see him a, a lot. Um, actually, I see him a lot at church, and he comes in and uh, always friendly, and, and he's a great guy. Um, I, I knew him back when I was uh, with the Bears my last year. He was in the uh, scouting department, and uh, you know, so our relationship kind of went back a little bit then. But um, you know, I'm just a fan. I don't really, uh, as you get older. You, you, your interests, your interests are a little bit different. I'm a family guy. I love, enjoy watching my kids play. Um, hope the Colts have great success. It'd be great, you know, for for the city to uh, to get back to the Super Bowl. I think they got a great chance this year. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a Colts fan. I always have been since the day I left. I just wish things would have turned out differently when I played here. Who do you see in the NFL that reminds you of you? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't want to just you know keep staying on the Colts, but uh, I'm a Matt Ryan fan. He's, uh, you know, he comes from Atlanta. I played in Atlanta. Um, he's a pocket guy. He's not going to, you know, get out of the pocket and, you know, gets you a 50 to 70, you know, 100 yards rushing. He's going to sit in the pocket and need to protect him. Um, but, you know, I'm a fan of Matt Ryan. You know, I hope he does well. Uh, been in the league for a long time. Got You know, he's a great leader, a lot of respect in the locker room. Um, you know, I, I, I hope he has great success. And I hope he leads the, the, the Colts to where they want to go. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, whoever the, uh, the passers are, the pocket passers, um, and I'm not going to sit here and say I'm Aaron Rodgers, but you know he's got a great arm. Um, watching him do some of the things that he does, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of some of the things that I did in the passing game. Um, but you know, again, you know, I the game's kind of changed a little bit. You you have to be uh, be able to run and and, uh, and and get out of the pocket and make make things happen. And you know, I was just uh, in the era when uh, uh, you know with the Elways, the Marinos, and you know, the Kellys. Uh, the Montanas, um, you know, that was the, the style back then. You know, you sit in the pocket and you make plays. So um, I'm not sure that uh, the game has any any type of quarterbacks uh, like today when I played. When did you know you had a great arm? How old were you? Because I always talk about this with people. I grew up with a kid, Danny Plezak, played 19 years in the major leagues, and we knew when he was 12 years old. Like, wait a second, this dude's tall, lanky, throws it, you know. When, when did you know that you had this this great arm? You know what, Dan, I uh, um, I think it kind of goes back to uh, elementary school. When I was a first grader, we had uh, every day we had, or not every day, but uh, every year we'd have, uh, uh, you know, football throw or the end of the year, uh, you know, classroom competition and, uh, whatever the softball, whatever type of ball it was, I just pick it up and throw it. And I remember my uh, uh, my phys ed teacher, guy by the name of uh, uh, Woody Fox, who was one of my favorite coaches at an early age, and um, my, he was my track coach, basketball coach, football or uh, uh, PE coach. And I remember him telling me, you know, uh, just 
when you'd get up and you'd compete against other first graders, you'd pick up the football and you'd throw and he'd let everybody throw first. And then, uh, he would back up about 30, 40 yards, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was in first grade and I would just launch it and it would, you know, I, I'd out throw the track that, uh, that we ran like the, the hundred yard dash on. And, um, so I, you know, I guess, you know, you look back, my brothers sit, tell stories all the time. And, uh, when you're a kid, you play in the, uh, in the neighborhood and I didn't really have a lot of friends in our neighborhood that was my age. So I would hang out with my brother's friends who were, uh, you know, like sixth, seventh grade at the time when I was in first grade and, you know, they, you play backyard football and, uh, you know, the, whoever had the biggest yard, um, uh, you, you know, you pick, have pickup games and, you know, I'd always be picked first, you know, out of, you know, playing against sixth and seventh graders, you know, I was first grade, so I would be the all time quarterback. So I don't know. My brothers tell those stories all the time. I was always able to, sports just always came natural to me other than golf, <laughs> but but um, yeah. I guess I could say first grade is when I kind of knew that I was going to be pretty good. Right. I mean, people always say, well, you never know. No, sometimes you do know. You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes, like, you just do. Right. Jeff, you, you, you played a long time in the NFL, and you had a lot of different agreements with people. How, how do you view, like, how, people portray you in a certain way. I – I remember reading about you helping your mother, and it was the, one of the best things I've ever read in the in the Indie Star. How different are you from how you were portrayed during those years in the NFL? Well, I think with anything, as you get older, I, I think people appreciate uh, what you did. Um, you know, do you have regrets when you play? Yes. You know, would I do things a lot differently than uh, uh, that I did when I, when I was 22? Yes. Um, but you learn. And uh, uh, how people portray you, uh, especially as a quarterback, uh, the bottom line is you have to win. Um, I didn't win, in, you know, in, in, in the NFL like I, like I had hoped to. Uh, you have dreams and goals. And, you know, as a kid, you, you know, you put yourself in, in, in playing in the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. And, um but I just, it just never really, um, worked out, uh, you know, maybe a year or two or three years it worked out, you know, when I was with the Raiders, we had, a, we had, a, you know, one good year and, and then just things just, you know, went to pieces, whether it was, you know, ownership, new coaches year in and year out. Uh, there's just so much that goes along with being successful that if you're just not in a good, in a good position, if you're, and you need a little luck, you need a little luck on your side. Things just have to work out. Um, you know, fall into place. You have to go to a great organization that's willing to win. And, you know, I'm not so sure there's a lot of, a lot of teams in the NFL that, uh, that really want to get to the playoffs year in and, you know, each year and, and win in the playoffs. And, you know, it costs money to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm not sure if, if you go to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, do you, do you take a loss? You know, I don't know how much money you, you make by, by going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, are you willing to uh, uh, willing to, to do that? And you know, if you look throughout the league, how many teams can you can can, can you say that are really uh, want to go and do whatever it takes to win a Super Bowl? Um, I'm not sure every team in the NFL really wants and is is committed to doing that. I'm not sure teams are committed to accountability. Like I always said, Jeff, if I was a, 
general manager, whether it's the Colts or NFL team or basketball team, I would look at the teams that are most successful year after year after year. And it seems to me, number one, they scout really well. They find guys. And number two, inside the culture, there seems to be accountability. And I'm not sure we're, I, I'm not sure how many teams want to deal with being or making players accountable. Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, you know, again, I think that just goes back to the, um, you know, how much a guy makes. I mean, you make a, uh, you pay a, a receiver or, a, you know, quarterback and you pay him, you know, 40, 50 million dollars a year. And, um, you know, how can you sit there as a coach and you're making two, three million dollars a year, tell this guy, uh, you know, you need to go out here and this is what you need to do. Um, you know, accountability is big. You know, you, you know better than anybody the teams that you played on how successful you you were in high school and college and heck I remember you know what loving coming home watching those uh, IU basketball games and Bobby Knight and you know I'd get up on Saturdays and watch you know Bobby Knight show and um, I think every kid in Indiana <laughs> wanted to play basketball at, at, at you know at, at IU I did you know that was one of my goals you know you know when I was in, in, in junior high and high school but you know, watching the teams that you played on and, you know, can you imagine the, uh, if some of these guys would, would come in and, and, and talk to Coach Knight or talk to you the way, when you were coaching, how you would react? You know, I mean, we're old school. And, it, uh, you know, if, you're, if you can't take accountability uh, from the top you know, all the way to the bottom, uh, then you're not going to win. So, um, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, sit here and say that, uh, you know, I did the things right. And obviously I, I, I didn't do a lot of things right, but, um, you know, I always tried to work hard and, uh, you know, you try and be there for your teammates and you try and play hurt. And, you know, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, if you tweak a hamstring, uh, nowadays and you're making 40 or 50 million, um, how are you going to tell that guy to go out there and, and, uh, and play for the team when, uh, when you have a, a, a a possibility of losing or missing some games and missing millions of dollars. So games just different nowadays. And, um, you know, I'm just, I don't know how you get back to that. You regret the mullet. (laughs) 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 What'd you say? The the mullet, the mullet is kind of coming back. You know, you see all these guys, uh, (laughs) you know, just the mustache and, you know, that's, that was me. I had the mullet, the mustache, and, you know, that's that's kind of coming back, so that's a good thing. <laughs> you stay around long enough, it all comes full circle, brother. It just does. Hey, sure, I appreciate yeah, spending sure time does. with you, man. Have a great rest of your summer, Jeff. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I'm a fan of yours. I love listening to you. I love watching on TV. I love watching you as a kid play. Uh, you know, at IU, and I love watching the coach. So, you know, I'm a big fan of yours as well. I appreciate you having me on. Jeff, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for saying that. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jeff George. I am. I'm a big, big fan. I, I like watching him play football. Uh, I don't know him well. I've talked to him a few times, and I always like him. The story of how he took care of his mother is something that is far more important than anything ever done on a football field, and it is Awesome. I get goosebumps sometimes. I show it to you. And Jeff just happened to read an article about him taking care of his sick mother. And what he did as a son is exactly what I hope that we all would do as a son. I think he's just a great guy, fantastic athlete, great quarterback. And I'm glad he came uh, on our show. I, I am. And he is a uh, he's a guy in Indianapolis that people really like. He just is. So there you go. 2,700 passing yards ain't bad either. 
eight and two as they made a playoff run ain't bad either with the Minnesota Vikings. Ain't bad. Really good. We all wish we did what Jeff George was able to do. I'd do anyway. I'd like to have played one day in the NFL or the NBA. I'm playing nothing. So there you go. All right. In honor of Jalen Rose, we are going to give to you, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're going to give to you the Mount Rushmore of stupid sports takes. Now, there are too many. One I got that's personal. The rest are like, what in the hell is this? When we come back, we will talk about the Mount Rushmore of stupid sports takes. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. A man who needs no introduction to stupidity, Jalen Rose, said that we should cancel. Yes, cancel. Take down Mount Rushmore. Christy Nome, the, pre- the uh, governor of whatever Dakota Mount Rushmore is in, hell, I don't even know. She said, no, we're not doing that. No, over my dead body. And when Christy, uh, no, says something, I am all for it. But the deal is simple. When Jalen Rose speaks, we just simply go, okay. We just say, okay. South Dakota is where Mount Rushmore is in the Black Hills. And we want to take down Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln because Jalen Rose says so. Yeah, let's do it. We shouldn't use takes that say Mount Rushmore. We shouldn't use Mount Rushmore as a tourist site. We shouldn't even have Mount Rushmore. Well, as we do often in honoring an idiot, we go, there you go. (laughs) There it is. We honor, ladies and gentlemen, the Mount Rushmore of stupid takes. Now understand this, the Mount Rushmore of stupid takes could certainly involve Jalen Rose's take. It could certainly and should, we should put up there, ladies and gentlemen, the god-awful take, it's not really a sports take by Jamel Hill saying that ESPN is, quote, too conservative for her. Okay. There's a bunch, but let's start with this one. Max Kellerman saying that Tom Brady has come to a ledge and he fell off it. He did this six years ago, 2016. The great Max Kellerman, he said, here's a tweet, Max Kellerman declared that Tom Brady was going to fall off a cliff. He's won three Super Bowls. Sometimes, and this is where I argue with people, I argue with people when they say to me, well, you're just a hot take guy. Well, you're just a guy that says things for clicks. No, I tell you the truth. I'm, and, you know, I'll give Max Kellerman, I'll give him credit. He probably believed that. See, I don't think saying Tom Brady is going to fall off a cliff is a hot take. It's a stupid take that got proven to be idiotic. I mean, let's be honest. But I don't think it was like a hot take for clicks. I think he read the room. I think he read Brady. I think he said, you know what? I'm going to get this in there because I think this is something that will fly. Well, three Super Bowls later, it didn't really fly. In fact, it flew up his you-know-what. And that's just the way sometimes takes go. When you're on television, like I speak five hours a day, 
You're going to say something stupid. I'm sorry. I'd like to be perfect. It would be fun to be perfect. But as we all know, I am anything but perfect. But you can't have an incredibly stupid take. You can't. You got to have a background. Like before you say Tom Brady's falling off a cliff, you got to know whether Tom Brady is healthy or not. You got to know whether Tom Brady's coming back to play or not. So it's stupid. It wasn't said for clicks. It's just stupid by a guy that doesn't know. We had one here in Indiana. When America's most overrated basketball coach, a guy named Archie Miller, got hired, our local Indiana star reporter, Greg Doyle, called it, quote, a grand slam hire. He gave, and I'm being literal here, he gave a standing ovation. He stood, this guy Doyle, in a press conference and clapped, gave him a standing ovation because, look, let's be honest, when you're a columnist in a city, you want to be known, you want to be seen. Doyle's the king of bad takes. He told us that sending your child to college was equivalent to sending him to Vietnam. Doyle told us that if they opened up IMS, there would be body bags at the Speedway. And he told us and shamed us here in Indianapolis that if you don't get the vaccine, I'll drive you to the airport, Carson Wentz. Of course, doctors now realize, wait a second, we got a 300 increase in cancer. My doctor, Dan, Don't have a lot of information on this. Be careful. Tread lightly is all I said. I get ripped for that. That's what my doctor said. Tread lightly. But Doyle shamed us all. But this take on Archie Miller, I called him. I said, Greg, he stinks. He won at Dayton, but everybody wins at Dayton. I called the AD. Fred Glass, what are you doing? Like, how have you screwed this up? But hey, what do I know? See, when guys don't understand or haven't been in sports other than to get an autograph or or been in locker rooms other than to get an autograph or to ask a question, they just don't know. And they let their bias seep in. So when you look at Max Kellerman, he didn't know. He saw an older guy. He saw a popular guy. He was going to make a take, and there you go. Doyle had a friendship with some uh, Kay Yao or somebody at North Carolina State. Doyle said, because Kay Yao or Wow, whatever the hell her name is, said, this is a great coach. Standing ovation for a guy that never went to the NCAA tournament at Indiana. Guy with the worst personality, even worse than mine, if you can believe it, to be the head coach of Indiana, a complete and utter failure. Speaking of idiotic takes, Here's another one. This guy, it's kind of expected. This guy here, uh, Nick Adams, is more of a political guy. He's more of a politico. He's a guy that, well, frankly, um, I don't know. Maybe he's really smart in his real world, in his life. But his take is simply this. Can we show it? Man, I guarantee... The Broncos would rather have had 15 years of Tebow at quarterback compared to the average three and a half years of Peyton Manning they ended up with. 
Huh. I guess what he's saying is that the Broncos now are going to stink without Peyton Manning, and they would have continued to be good under Tim Tebow. Do you know what they did with Peyton Manning? Do you know what they did, the Broncos? They won a Super Bowl. Do you know what else they did with Peyton Manning? They got to a Super Bowl. Four years, three and a half, because he did get injured, of Peyton Manning resulted in two Super Bowls, one Super Bowl win. Now, with all due respect to Tim Tebow, and ladies and gentlemen, I was in, I was in Denver when he came off the bench and led an unbelievable comeback for the start of Tebow mania. We were out there visiting the Air Force Academy. My son was being recruited to play basketball there. So we went out, decided to spend Sunday in Denver, found a bar and grill where there was football on. We sat in the corner, Bronco fans, game was over. Tebow comes in, starts lighting it up. It was the best day in Tebow mania. They win. People are going nuts. I'm being literal here. In a bar that was dead. People were like, it was like somebody took a, you know those hoses that you filled up your tires with as a kid where you pump? It was like somebody did that in the backside of everybody in this bar and everybody got big and everybody was floating. It was crazy. And then reality set in. And then you realize, okay, he really isn't accurate enough to be a quarterback. And then he became a wide receiver. No, I'm sorry, a tight end. No, an H-back. I don't know. But next thing you know, Tebow mania's done, and they're rebuilding, and who comes in? Peyton Manning. Colts were dumb enough to let Peyton Manning go. But the scribes all said, Peyton Manning has to go. We don't know if he's going to be able to play. New GM comes in, Ryan Gregson. He's not allowed to make the call on Peyton Manning. Oh, no. The call on Peyton Manning is made by Jimmy Ursay, tearfully. Great press conference by Mr. Ursay or Jimmy Ursay. Great. Not good. Great. Peyton Manning's got to go. Next thing you know, Colts fans, I'm on the radio saying, hold on here. I keep hearing Andrew Luck doesn't love football the way Tom Brady and Peyton Manning love football. Don't mess with winning. Don't mess with it. No, you got to. You got to. Got a generational quarterback. You got a quarterback that's going to revitalize the game. Okay. Colts fans, you're lucky to go from Manning to Luck. All true. But the truth of the matter is what happened. Oh, baby, you know what happened. Peyton Manning goes to Denver. He's got a great team. They get to a Super Bowl, they lose. Peyton Manning goes to Denver. They got a great team. They win a Super Bowl. But, oh, it isn't because of Peyton Manning. Really? Okay. Is it ever really because of the quarterback? Is it ever really because of one guy? Was it really about last year, Matt Stafford? Or was it about, I don't know, a great defense, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup? I don't know. You tell me. You guys are smarter than me. All I know is this. In a 1,000 years in Indianapolis, with all these guys, Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame GM Bill Pullian, Hall of Fame wide receiver, uh, what's his face, Harrison, all the, Mathis and Freeney and all these guys, Jeff Saturday, all these alleged greats, 
14 years, two Super Bowls. Four years, Denver, two Super Bowls. 14 years, Indy, one Super Bowl win. Four years, Denver, one Super Bowl win. 15 years of Tebow, I got two words for you. My backside. That's a stupid take. This goes back a few years. But anybody that remembers this is like, wow. Huh. Sports Illustrated. Darren Ravel put it out yesterday. Sports Illustrated, Lee, called Tony Mandridge the best offensive line prospect ever, Lee. Look at him. Is that a handsome man? Look at the build on that guy. 6'6", 315, built like your husband. Just (laughs) built like a brick, you know what house. Thank you for the Java. Tony Mandridge, Michigan State. Oh, boy, wait a second. You know what they did in the NFL? Oh, man, they tested for steroids. Tony Mandridge never made a Pro Bowl. Tony Mandridge was on my show, and I really like Tony Mandridge. Tony Mandridge came on a few years ago and was really good. Tony Mandridge, at least what I know of Tony Mandridge, is a really good person now. He's a guy that has been through a ton, man. Let me just go through this. He was the second pick in the draft in 2000, 2000, hell, 1989. Second pick, all right? He played for the Packers. He played for the Colts. He played basically nine, ten years. He was a two-time Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year. The best prospect ever. Ever. You know what his draft class was? Barry Sand, uh, Troy Aikman, number one. Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders. The only guy that didn't make the Hall of Fame out of that the best prospect ever. The incredible bulk, he was called. Yeah. Look, uh, never made a Pro Bowl, injured, steroid use. 2008, he admitted to his steroid use. And I got to tell you, man, he got addicted to drugs and alcohol, but right now he has a great story. I'm sorry, he has a great story. I understand that people want to crush folks. There's a documentary on him. It's part of the E-Series. And I got to tell you, E-60. I had him on my show, and I thought he was great. Is he the best offensive line prospect ever? No. And you got to remember, Sports Illustrated came out in that time in 1989, before Twitter, before social media, before we really had to make all these crazy pronouncements to get attention. Back in the day, you could put my fat ass on the cover of Sports Illustrated and people are going to get Sports Illustrated. Every Thursday, I couldn't wait to go to my mailbox hoping Sports Illustrated came a day early. When it came on Fridays, when I was a young high school kid, I would go to the local high school basketball game and run home, make a Totino's pizza, uh, get my scissors out, cut it up, and eat, or excuse me, and read Sports Illustrated. They didn't have to put all that up. They didn't have to say this, but they did. And it's one of the dumbest sports takes ever. Now, there's a ton of dumb sports takes. I mean, I asked last night for dumb sports take. Did you know way back when Arizona was picked the number one football team in the country, like 1994? They finished like sixth in the Pac-12. That's a dumb sports take. The Mount Rushmore 
of dumb sports takes. I probably had it. Hell, I said Jeff Brom was going to leave Purdue and go to Louisville, his hometown. He was. And then Purdue jumped up, made a hell of an offer. So I, once again, looked like an idiot. But that's all right. It ain't as dumb as saying that Archie Miller's a home run hire at Indiana. When everybody in hoops knew this is a bad fit, the only two people that didn't know were the columnists of the star and the athletic director. It ain't as bad as saying Tom Brady is done. He's off the cliff. What? We all get things wrong, and it's fun to point them out. It is. I point them out all the time when I'm wrong. There is a clip that we, I should have gotten for you. It's at the end of a game, Illinois taking on Michigan State. Io DeSumo has the ball. I'm working the game with, I think it was Dave Fleming. It might have been Benetti. Io has the ball. The clock is running down. And 90% of the time, when a guy lets the clock run down, it doesn't end well. DeSumo's taking the ball and he's dribbling it in. You can see it on YouTube. Illinois fans kill me. As soon as he starts to go, like, too late, I go, this isn't going to end well for Illinois. DeSumo lifts up. Whap. Game winner. I'm like, oh, baby. Mic drop, Io DeSumo, and he made fun of me at the next media day, and I made fun of myself. It's great. You're going to make mistakes as a pundit, analyst, whatever. But anyway, it is fun, and we will keep Mount Rushmore. We will absolutely uh, keep it. Now, people are saying Jamarcus Ellis or Jamarcus Russell may be his equal as a bus, talking about Tony Mandridge. But I didn't see a cover of Sports Illustrated saying that Jamarcus Russell was going to be the greatest NFL quarterback ever. You know what I mean? I never saw that. I saw that about Tony Mandridge. And then the idea, seriously, of those four, which is the dumbest? The offensive line greatest ever probably has to be in the conversation. But I got to tell you, when you're playing in the NFL, the one thing your town talks about is the Super Bowl. Hell, in Indianapolis, the Colts had all these wins. They were the winningest team in the first decade, I think, I forget, like the first 10 years or second 10 years of the 21st century. People talk about the Super Bowl. That's it. I mean, you can talk about all the wins. You can talk about the greats. People talk about the Super Bowl. Would Tim Tebow in 15 years have led the Broncos to the Super Bowl? I don't know. But I got to tell you, here's the deal. Once Tebow was no longer the quarterback of the Denver, Denver Broncos, I looked around. I didn't see a single person, team, general manager, coach, go to bat for him to be their quarterback, including his college coach, Urban Meyer, who brought him in as a tight end. I don't know. It's fun. I don't do Mount Rushmore's, but in honor of the great Jalen Rose, smartest man in his own mind, we did a Mount Rushmore. If you made it, we congratulate you. Uh, every day we do a woke dope And I'm guessing on the Mount Rushmore, let's see, Kellerman, maybe not. Doyle, totally woke. Uh, Adams, probably not. Yeah, Nick uh, Ravel, absolutely. But this one is unbelievable. 
Clay Travis said it best. We in this country are led by idiots. We're led by fools. We're led by lunatics. This is Nancy Pelosi. This is Nancy Pelosi speaking. Well, I'll let you hear what Nancy Pelosi had to say. Can we play this? This is unbelievable. I was a little girl. I was told at the beach if I dug a hole deep enough, we would reach China. So we've always felt a connection there. When I was a little girl, I was told I could dig to China. So I've always felt a connection with China. We are legitimately led by idiots. This person has been elected numerous times. Can we play that again? I just wish one time somebody behind them would just start laughing. Can we play that again? It's like... As a little girl, I was told at the beach if I dug a hole deep enough, we would reach China. So we've always felt a connection there. You know, I always thought, and maybe I've always been wrong, but I've always thought until recently that if you're going to be the Speaker of the House, or you're going to be the Vice President, or you're going to be the President, you should at least have a little bit of sense and intelligence. Like, I'm sure that the three that I just mentioned, Mrs. Pelosi, Mrs. Harris, and Mr. Biden, are all very smart. I'm sure, and I know, Their academic backgrounds are impeccable. But as we all know, there is such an incredible difference between being street smart and being book smart. And these folks, the three that I mentioned, are about as stupid speaking as can possibly be. We've played numerous clips of both President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris In Biden's case, it's just sad, right? In Biden's case, it's like, yo, Jill, you're a damn doctor. Can you help a brother out? Seriously, can you give the man a hand and not let him be in public? I don't know about you, but it seemed like when Biden was dealing with COVID, a lot of stuff got done in the country. We killed one of the top threats over with Al-Qaeda. That was pretty good. Seemed like the market bounced back. Jobs report was good. Just stay where you stayed for the election and don't speak, Mr. President. Camilla Harris, will you explain this to me? Camilla Harris, explain to me how $100 billion is going to Ukraine and you all told us you don't have $5 billion to build a wall. And if you want to know what's happening in our country, look at the exchange between Eric Adams, the New York City mayor, and Abbott, the governor of Texas. The governor of Texas said, okay, you're a sanctuary city, New York. We'll send busloads of illegal immigrants to New York City. Adams, who is just a fraud, like every politician, is like, oh my God, we're being overrun and now we're mad about it. I thought you were a sanctuary city. 
people in positions of power saying idiot. It's one thing for a radio host or a TV host or Stephen A. Smith or me or Clay or Mike Greenberg to say something stupid. What really are we doing? I mean, we're talking about sports. We're talking about that. But my God, shouldn't we demand more? Shouldn't there be a little bit of common sense? Shouldn't there be a little bit, just a little bit above it us, above us, when we see the leaders of our country? That woman is third in line for the presidency. The first, the president, can't even put his jacket on. The second can't speak in coherent tone and says whatever she feels like saying and repeating and repeating and repeating, Camilla Harris. And the third is talking about digging to China. That gives her a connection to China. And we don't do anything. We just sit here and say nothing. It's the damnedest world I've ever seen. It is. It's unbelievable. So now, to end the show, to start the show, I talked about, well, you know, they're breaking in to Biden, not Biden, they're, they're going into Trump's house. They raided Trump's house. Well, apparently, uh, they wanted napkins back. Apparently, he took items such as napkins. Really? Okay. Uh all right, my bad, menus. Oh, really? My bad, you took menus? You took birthday napkins? That's what we're mad about? That's what we're doing? That's what we're raiding the President of the United States house? That's what we're doing? Okay, if that's what you said, if that's what it is, then fine, but read it, you'll see. That's what we're going after. We're going after napkins. We're going after menus. All right. Like, I'm not one of those that jumps. I'm the one that's saying, hey, look, look. We, until we know what in the heck is going on here, and I think the Department of Justice owes it to the American people, I do, I think, They owe it to the American people to, as quickly as they can, tell us what in the hell's going on. I don't have any, zero, zip faith. Because again, may I read it to you? I think I shall. Was there a raid on Jeffrey Epstein and all his clients? You're talking about sex trafficking. They painted uh, Trump as a Russian agent. That proved false. The laptop of Hunter Biden was Russian disinformation. Hell, even that guy, what's his name? Stetzer, Setzer on CNN. They got all excited when Twitter censored you and me. They lost our trust way back. They didn't even know. It's like the Indy Star and me. You do enough stupid stuff, guess what? You'd lose the, what's the right word? Benefit of the doubt. You lose the benefit of the doubt. There is no benefit of the doubt in this for the Department of Justice. There's none. This entire deal. Oh, man, Trump's a Russian agent. Really? Spying for Russia. Really? Turned out not even close to true. 
Hunter Biden, his laptop, damn it. That thing was Russian disinformation. Uh, what about Hillary's missing emails? Did they raid her house? What about Hunter Biden posting drugs, hookers? Uh, apparently, I've heard it. There's a voicemail where the big guy is clearly identified as Joe Biden. I mean, what are we doing? The one guy sleeping with Russia. We're sleeping with Russian spies, and we don't enter their premises in a raid. Very simple. Whatever you got, fine. Show it to us. I'm telling you, I'm not going to be surprised if this isn't among the biggest moments in United States history. I don't know what's going to happen. I've seen people say civil war. I have no idea. But I know this. It's very simple. You raided the man's house for a reason. What'd you get? You've told so many lies. You've gone after this guy in so many different ways. Fine. Even I'm tired of it. What do you have? It's that simple. And if what you have doesn't lead to an arrest, then you've wasted all of our time. Because as I said earlier, when you get raided, when your home gets raided, look it up. It's never, ever good. And it never ends with anything other than an arrest. We'll see what happens. Keep it right here all day. Outkick 360 coming up at 3. Clay's got it going on. Go to outkick.com. If you want real news, real sports news, go to outkick.com. I'm telling you, it's better than any of these. By the way, breaking news, ESPN just pulled out of the negotiations for the Big Ten. I'm telling you, when Dockage leaves, things go to hell in a handbasket. Uh, Ryan, Dylan, thank you guys, Davey, so much. We'll see you tomorrow. Dockage, O-U-T.